Athletes at the top of their game often talk about the relationship between the mind and the body. In fact, it's often the right mental state that can help them achieve amazing results, especially in the face of great adversity. While sport shows us the power of the mind, we can easily forget this when it comes to how we live every day. One person that is bringing the two together is Cooper Chapman, pro surfer and founder of The Good Human Factory. We chat with him on all things mental health, how it's helped him through his own sport, and how he's now helping others understand the power that it holds. From the team at Helix, I'm Tim Mullen. This is the science of us. A podcast about who we are, how we behave, and why. This podcast is proudly brought to you by Helix, www.helix.com. At Helix, we help you understand your people, track progress, and stay connected. Check out the website to learn more. So Cooper, welcome. How are you doing? Doing very well. It's nice to be back Australia side of the ocean and yeah back into life back in the country which is nice I've been overseas the last couple of months so yeah love and being back home very good man we'll get into that in a, in a little bit about where you've uh, you've been but for the audience that may not know who you are can we actually start with the story of cooper chapman so where like who are you where did it begin um and i think we'll get into a little bit about how you've uh, how you've i guess developed in your your life over time yeah, so my name's Cooper Chapman. I'm 27 years old. I grew up on Sydney's northern beaches in North Narrabeen, very beautiful part of the world and very grateful to have grown up in such an amazing place, really. Um, but yeah, my story, been a professional surfer since I was, oh, since I left school, really, but the ocean and being around the beach has been part of my family and my just life that I grew up in. My dad surfed from a very young age and well, my dad surfed his whole life and from a young age, he got me down the beach. And as a lot of us do in Australia, I was in the Nippers program and was down the beach every weekend watching my dad surf. And yeah, I fell in love with the ocean from about the age of seven or eight. I started getting in the water and getting pushed into some waves. And yeah, I was very fortunate that I kind of had a bit of talent from a young age and started having quite a successful junior career. And was lucky enough to represent Australia multiple times when I was in high school at Junior World Games. And yeah, it's pretty spe special to get to wear the green and gold when you're sort of 14, 15, 16 and 17. All your friends are at school in high school and you're traveling around the world representing the country as a surfer. And yeah, I, I mean, I learned so many great things getting to travel. I think it's such an important way to develop and understand how different cultures work and how the world kind of works outside of this island we call Australia. So very lucky to have yeah, grown up in that surf mindset, in that young competitive person mindset. And I think it really shaped who I am today and gave has given me so many great opportunities and continues to give me great opportunities being a professional surfer. So yeah, that was kind of the upbringing. And then, yeah, obviously life changes and life shifts as you get older. And I've been doing a lot of other things as well as I've been growing up. So, so what age was it exactly that you got into surfing? Like how old are we talking about when you're hitting the waves for the first time on a board? I think I would have been about eight or nine. I started to really actually get pushed into waves and started paddling for myself. And then when I was about 10, I started competing. We have a really good circuit in Australia for, um, we call it grommet surfing, but like junior surfing under 16s 
in Australia back when I was doing that, oh, I mean, 15 years ago now, there was, we were up and down the east coast of New South Wales and Queensland for oh, most of the year. Every school holidays would have two events and would be driving up and down the coast. And yeah, like I said, I was very lucky from a young age. I was quite successful. I started winning events when I was 11 or 12 and just had that bit of natural talent. But also I feel like I had also a really good upbringing when it came to sport and being competitive. I played rugby union quite competitively up until I was about 13 or 14. And that sort of made me understand how important it is to be disciplined to train and have that structure around team sport. And yeah, I feel like I brought that across to the individual sport that surfing is and yeah, helped me have that young success. And yeah, didn't really look back since I kind of, once I realized that it's a bit better to fall off in surfing and get tackled in footy, I shifted the focus to surfing at about 13 and hung up the footy boots. And yeah, I mean, it's uh, probably the best decision I ever made. <laughs> Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I was uh, never as successful as you in terms of sporting, but I gave up rugby as well for that same reason. I got too many, uh, one too many knocks on the uh, on the neck, I think it was, and uh, that sort of made me realise there must be a, a better sport out there for my uh, my body. But, uh, mate, can I um, ask about that uh, when you're eight or nine? I mean, what, can you remember the sort of the feelings that you were having at that stage of, you know, the was there fear involved when you were first getting into surfing? Was there frustration? Like, what was it like when you were learning? Because it's, it's a pretty young age, I guess, to be, getting the sport and then of course then starting to compete when you're 10 or 11 so what was that like yeah i mean there's definitely fear involved when it comes to a young surfer obviously the wave size is something that you need to sort of grow into and start to understand the power in the ocean and that's the beautiful thing about surfing i think that was one of the main feelings i got from a young age was that freedom to express yourself for one you're kind of out in an environment that is so changing and so um volatile that it was it's always been a challenge and it still is a challenge every day, time i get in the water every time i get in the ocean every day that you learn something new you start to understand something different about yourself and the water moves in a different way and that's what i think drew me so much to it is that unpredictability but also that individual experience you do get when you're out in the ocean everybody has such a different experience and yeah, I've just always enjoyed that challenge. And like you said, touched on at the start, the fear was definitely there and still is there in different scenarios. But as I started getting older, as I started to put myself in those uncomfortable situations more often, it gave me the opportunity to grow. And I mean, now there's not many conditions that I'm scared of to the average person. But yeah, when the waves get extremely large, it definitely still brings a bit of a fright and keeps the heart rate up but yeah I think I've definitely as the years have progressed started to understand the ocean better and started to yeah fall away from the fear that I had when I was quite young and when you were moving into the competitive nature of it again it's a very young age that you were starting to get into that I guess like semi-pro or I think you call it grommets etc but like it's it's pretty it's a pretty young age to be going into that that sort of competitive um, nature which is probably like a little bit different from I'm guessing, I mean, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm guessing from sort of school sports and stuff like that because you're, you're competing at just a bit of a different level. But what what was that like um, being that young and understanding all the other emotions that come with it? Not just the fear of, I guess, um, the participation, also the, the waves, et cetera, but the frustration that you might have felt and I guess everything else that comes with that, that piece of um, competing professionally. Yeah, like I said, because I was successful from quite young, failure I did quite well from very young and then as I started to get through my career I 
start, I was don't get, I was a pretty sore loser. I used to cry every time I lost. It was um, being a young kid. It's yeah, it is a roller coaster. Learning how to handle ups and downs, and it's um, an environment that in an individual sport compared to a team sport, you have to wear yourself and you have to learn to take accountability for your mistakes and try and not make the same mistake the next event. So. I think it was a really good way to mature and a good way to begin to understand myself. But yeah, it was, um, I remember crying so many times after heat and I remember having blow ups with my dad. I remember one event, I went up to Newcastle for an event and we lived in Sydney and I made the same mistake that I'd made in another comp and I was probably like 14 or 15. And I mean, looking back at my dad probably shouldn't have been as harsh on me, but I just understand he could see the potential and the, um, talent that I had and he doesn't he doesn't didn't like me making the same mistake and I remember I lost in this one event and we drove from Newcastle back to Narrabeen and didn't say a single word to each other in the car because he was bummed at me that I'd not performed to the level that he knew I could and I was obviously disappointed that I'd done the same so yeah there's definitely moments in my career where I started to understand that but the one thing that my dad always told me was you're going to lose a hell of a lot more than you're going to win so learn how to lose because it's going to happen a lot more than you're going to win and I think it set me up pretty well for life. Yeah, it's very good advice because it is it is very true. And I, th- I guess to your point, through that, um, through I guess events where we're, we're not sort of winning, and um, we're actually learning a lot. And I think that that's the key that uh, a lot of people have to take out of it nowadays. When you when you look at it from a, if I sort of fast forward a little bit from those as um, earlier years, and then you're sort of your professional surfer, you know, it obviously took you all across the world. You've mentioned that you've represented Australia a few times. You know, what, what's that experience been like when it comes to the evolution of your sort of emotional state and understanding, you know, the frustration and those sort of bits that you just talked about from an early age? How did you then further develop in terms of the mental component of the uh, the, compete, uh, the competition? Yeah, so when we when I finished high school, I was lucky enough to be getting paid okay money from um, a surf brand to not have to go to uni and basically set my career career up where I was traveling the world doing world stage events from the age of 17 and competing like world juniors got like top um, three in that and then went straight onto the world stage from the age of 18 we call it the qualifying series and the biggest challenge with that was going from the top junior like big fish small pond to just a new young Aussie kid on the international tour and that was definitely a bit of a shock trying to understand that there's a whole wide world out there of people who are a lot better than you and trying to adapt and overcome that next challenge which was that next step up which was yeah it was difficult those I actually had quite a lot of success my first year or two on the international tour and then from about 20 to 23 kind of just got stuck in the pack going through the motions and didn't really lift up to that next level and that was a a tough one to deal with because I did have that trajectory from a young age to be going to the world tour what we call it and then I kind of got stuck in a little bit of a rut I couldn't quite overcome the obstacles I needed to to reach that next level and that was a really difficult one for me because I did put a lot of my personal value and my self-worth and my purpose was very very attached to my results and my um achieving these goals that I'd set for myself so when they didn't come true it was quite difficult as a you know like at late teenager early 20s to come to terms with that you're not always going to achieve your goals and now that I've done obviously a lot more personal work as the years have gone on, I've started to understand how important the journey is and how important it is to learn from those mistakes and how important it is to not blame 
mistakes on other people or other scenarios other than taking accountability and responsibility for what's going on. So I've definitely learned a lot and matured a lot through my surf career. And yeah, I feel like I'm in a great mental spot now, which has been uh, taken a lot of work to get to. But yeah, looking back, there's been so many ups and downs and I've dealt with things so differently to I would now going through my career. But I think that's just growing up and yeah, being the top guy for so long to being just the guy in the middle of the pack is yeah a bit of an ego hit but yeah the more I've done that personal work the more I've started to understand that our results and our goals shouldn't be attached to our purpose and that's where I'm kind of at right now in life. I'm interested to unpack that that a little bit more but when we go to that you're just mentioning when you're in that sort of that middle ground place and sort of re reassessing expectations was it was it a physical thing was it a mental thing was it both like what were the main things that were holding you back what you believe from uh, that next stage of sort of breaking through? Oh, I think there definitely was leaving the junior career. There was definitely a bit of ego there. Don't get me wrong. I felt like I was kind of top shit being like the guy that had done well and thought like, all right, sweet. The career is just going to keep flowing on this trajectory. And I think I just wasn't as prepared mentally and emotionally to take on that big of a change so quickly. And especially because I did have quite a bit of success in my first year or two on that tour, I didn't quite get to the top 10, which we need to, but I was around that 20 level for a year or two. So because of that, it kind of made me not be as prepared as I thought, as I really should have been going into that. And a few things as well, like I knew mental health was going to be some sort of problem in my life, but something apparent in my life. I lost an uncle when I was quite young to suicide and I'd watched my dad suffer quite a lot of, ups and downs with depression and anxiety through my teen years so when I did have these string of bad results when I was about 20 I kind of mentally went to oh wow I'm going to fall down this sort of family hereditary run of mental illness and that kind of brought it an extra layer of fear but that was when I felt like I probably did six to eight months of just like battling demons of I'm not good enough I've got to go see a psychologist I need help to being like, all right, maybe if I can take a bit of responsibility, I started to pick up a lot of self-development books and started to read and try and unlock a bit more psychology behind sport because it really fascinated me, the understanding of the brain and understanding how we can perform better, not just physically, but also mentally. And from a curiosity point of view, from one, my family history, but also being an athlete, I wanted to improve my my like my mental game and that's when I did start doing that work and yeah I started to work with my psychologist and understand that with my sports psychologist sorry at Surfing Australia and started to unlock a bit around attaching my purpose to my values rather than attaching my purpose to my achievements and my goals because so often we're going to come up short in our goals that if you're attaching your purpose to that it makes it very tough to feel those um yeah, that have those days where you feel like you're really aligned with your purpose, which is what I feel like we should really be striving towards as humans. And and how old were you then when you had that sort of, I guess, that interest in mental health when that really began? Because it sounds like, although you were saying that, you know, you, you've obviously had these other things happen within your family, a lot of people wouldn't necessarily have the awareness that it sounds like that you had where you could sort of step back and assess the situation for what it is. A lot of people will just sort of get sort of stuck, you know, that in that subconscious piece and just go down a certain path without, without actually understanding what's going on. What do you think sort of drove that awareness and at what age was it then that that was when you were really getting into understanding more about the brain how it all works? 
I think it was probably, I think I was about 21, 22. So probably like five or six years ago. I think it was, I'd gone on that sort of trajectory of my career where I was still going up, doing well after. And it took me until I had a few poor results. I had sponsors kind of getting on my case and I started to, yeah, really internally be scared. And like I touched on before, I kind of was very fearful to go. Not fearful, but in my mind, I was like, I've been gifted this great life. I've been traveling the world surfing I've been paid this money I have no reason to have mental health problems I can't like I felt like this insecurity about trying to seek help so that was what almost forced my hand to start trying to discover this for myself and started reading self-development books and started to understand that there's so many great techniques and um, ways to unlock your brain and different ways of thinking and different ways to look at the world that I probably didn't have that curiosity at school. I already had my life kind of lined up in a really nice way from getting paid well to surf to doing well. I didn't feel any need or reason to try and have that curiosity. But then I think the string of bad results and the string of, um, yeah, just not really achieving the goals that I wanted to forced my hand to try and understand the brain a bit better and try and get those couple of percent um, cause I wasn't far off doing well, but there was just those couple of percent and you always hear about in sport, the importance of the mental game. And that was what led me to the curiosity to do that. But then it just went leaps and bounds and really helped me a lot with other aspects of my life. Cause I realized the importance of having that healthy mind, especially when it comes to competing, but just when it comes to everyday life as well. And how many of the, your, your fellow peers on the sort of circuit, did you see that were encountering this? Cause I think it's really interesting how, the link between mental health and performance is is so clear in sport. Like I think that when you're in the office or a desk job or whatever else it might be, it's very easy to hide or not really understand the linkage between the two, but it's often talked so much about in sport. You know, you've got like a great example this year of Naomi Osaka, who's, you know, publicly came out to talk about exactly what you're mentioning, where the way that they define themselves and who they are is all linked to whether they're winning or not. And then she stopped enjoying the whole process of actually competing, playing, et cetera, because it was all just like, if I'm not winning, you know, I'm really down. And then like, you know, even if when I do win, it's not, I'm not now feeling much at all. So how much did you experience from your, your peers when you were out there competing who were going through those same sorts of issues at the same time? Oh, definitely. I mean, I traveled with my whole career. I've traveled with a lot of other young Aussies around my age who, same thing, obviously the ones, the the handful of us who get to that next level that I've been on for the last 10 years, I've all kind of got somewhat of a similar story. We're all going to have ups and downs and I've seen multiple breakdowns from behind closed doors where one of the boys will lose and go home and say, no, nah, I'm done. I'm quitting. I'm free surfing. I'm not doing these comps anymore. So, I mean, it, it happens in every sport. I think we all so accustomed especially once you get to an international stage it generally means you've been the top of your sport at a young age like in your area and then you move up to the state level and you're probably still the top there but then once you hit that international level it's a big wide world out there so I've definitely seen all of my friends go through ups and downs and everybody has their own ways of coping with things and that's what I've learned so much is watching how everybody deals with things differently is such a important curiosity to have and that's what led me to being like hmm I've read multiple self-development books and one or two of like I've probably read 30 in the last couple of years but I might only use four or five of the tech four or five of the um, techniques that I've learned but it took me 40 to get took me 30 books to get to those four or five so that 
understanding that there isn't a perfect fit for everybody. I think by being around so many ups and downs and so many stories of people reaching their goals and being so happy, but then also watching people reach their goals and be unhappy because they've put such an expectation on the feeling that's going to come with this X, like this um, achievement and it's not quite the same. So that's taught me to really try and appreciate the journey. And it's, it sounds very cliche, but it has really taught me that once you achieve the goal, like it's just, that should just be the cherry on top. It's all about trying to like bake that cake and really be, um, yeah, a good person along the journey. And that's what's led me to find fulfillment and happiness in so many other ways than just achieving goals. How many people do you think, because I love how you talk about purpose and, and values and it's specifically relevant to not just obviously individually, but a lot of companies use that sort of stuff as well as a way to ground their, their people to connect them to a sort of a higher, a higher meaning. How, um, in terms of like how you've developed that now over time, like, is it, do you think it's something that's still evolving for you or you're now much, much clearer in terms of what that purpose is about why you exist? Definitely much clearer, but always evolving. I think as soon as you somewhat take your foot off the gas with life and with learning, I think that's when you start getting lost. I think having curiosity and having that ability to always want to learn, to always know that we're only like the puzzle's never complete. So it's always about trying to continue to build those blocks, trying to continue to find new things. I mean, it's taken me this long to understand myself this much, but if I can continue to learn new things, continue to be inspired by great people. And I mean, the world's changing so quick. If we're not changing with it, that's when you get left behind. That's when you do lose that purpose. And for me, it's just continually learning. That's what really pumps me up more than anything is to know that every day I can learn something new that might make my life better. And that's what I think what really makes me who I am nowadays is having that urge to continue to learn and that urge to continue to be better because yeah once I think you stand still that's when you kind of get left behind I totally agree and it's amazing that the power that just that feeling of learning and growth and that development can have and I think that so many people as you were recounting your stories and I can relate it to so many people I know as well that are completely dictated to by what sort of success looks like and that is what determines who they are and why they exist but the problem is that so many people nowadays seem to be searching for this thing that is almost unattainable because it's always like we position it as, oh, yeah, no, like I'll be happy when I get here. But then it's like, you know, you get there, maybe you're still not happy, or then I'll be happier when I get here. And it's just this, this vicious cycle that people continue to go around and around in and never finding that sense of fulfillment because what they're chasing is not actually real. So from everything that you've learned and gone through and understood and experienced yourself, was this a big catalyst for creating the Good Human Factory? Definitely. And, and I didn't even know at the time, like I've just told my story, like I didn't start the Good Human Factory until two, until two and a half years ago. And the catalyst for that was my younger sister lost two friends in two weeks to suicide in her last year of high school when she was like 18. And I was just like, the, she came home from school one night and we had a family dinner and she sat, we all sat down and she told us that one of her friends had taken his life. And like I was just like fire out that sucks and like we all do like oh I wish I could do something and then two weeks later again she said another friend and I was like young kids on the northern beaches shouldn't be taking their life and I was like I've almost felt guilt that I've had this amazing life like not handed to me don't get me wrong I've worked my absolute ass off my whole career to get to where I am but I'm also very aware of how fortunate I am that I have had the opportunities I have had 
and that's come with almost a small bit of guilt. So when I started to hear about these kids taking their life and started to look into the pandemic that we do have of um, mental illness globally, but specifically in Australia, I thought maybe I can do something because my dad was like, he's seen the journey that I've been on over the last 10 or let's say seven years since I've kind of had this a bit of a bit better awareness and maturity when it comes to mental health. He was like, maybe you can go and talk to kids. You obviously I'd run a few surf camps with some young kids um, as a coach. And one of the things I did just because it's something that I did with the kids was taught them just did like a 15 minute visualization and meditation technique. And after the two day weekend with the 10 kids, almost all of the parents came and said to me after the camp, all the kids all said they love the meditation the most. And I found that very interesting because we went surfing, we trained in the gym, we went skateboarding, we did a whole bunch of fun stuff, but the kids really enjoyed that. So it kind of, at the time, didn't think much of that. But then my little sister lost a few friends and my dad had heard the feedback from the parents and he was like, why don't you try and go and speak to the kids about the skills that you've learned? They might be inspired by you as a young pro surfer. It might be a little bit different of a message than they'll get from your typical mental health organization who'll come in and tell you about anxiety, depression, here's the signs, here's the statistics, which is all important. But what I felt like I could bring to the table was a bit more of a maintenance kind of program, something to encourage the kids to develop them skills themselves based on my own experience, based on my experience with somewhat being fearful to see a psychologist, but based on also my experience of understanding that if you take responsibility and looking for some of these um, different techniques and these amazing um, resources we do have out there around the world, then we can all live a happy and fulfilled life. So my goal turned into, well, my purpose and the initial offering kind of with the good human factor was just to encourage and hopefully inspire kids to take responsibility for themselves and show them some of the skills and techniques that I've learned over the years that I definitely did not learn at school or definitely was not aware about at school and yeah hopefully being a young pro surfer could maybe encourage and inspire these kids to take a bit of responsibility and build some curiosity around these things because we all do want to have great fulfilled and happy lives and I think we're missing the mark quite a lot with the education system that there's so many important skills that we can be taught that we are being taught at schools. So that was kind of, yeah, where the good human factory started, obviously the catalyst of my career um, equipped me well to be doing the work that I'm doing today. The point on meditation I think is really interesting because I've, I've noticed it myself. So I've got a, a four-year-old and a two-year-old and I've noticed that even at kindy, especially with the four-year-old, um, he's done, they've actually sort of like looked at a lot of different those sort of mindfulness, those breathing techniques and the, the meditation side of things. And I, I wish that when I was a kid, I would have had that because I, um, I think it would have set me, <laughs> set me up so well. I've, I've probably grown up with, you know, more anxiety than I, I knew was there and everything else and, and not understanding how to sort of control it. Do you think, I mean, you know, going back to that, so the awful story of your, um, your, your sister's friends, is it because people, and, and, and then I want to relate this back to then why you're, you know, the kids in your, that original sort of um, class you were doing loved the meditation. Was it because life is just so hectic and they just don't know how to slow the mind? And I, th I suppose nowadays with the impact of social media and this kind of, I mean, I'm terrified for sending my, my kids to school almost like with that sort of stuff and growing up in an age of social media where you just, you know, it, it's no longer as simple as I felt when I grow up, but is it, is it because of that intensity of life that you think that kids now really gravitate towards more of these things when it comes to meditation? Uh, I mean, 
it is hard to convince kids to try and meditate and so often it is um quite confronting for them because not many we don't not many people sit still with their thoughts for long it's only when you lie in bed and you hear so often I'll ask a group of people whether it be corporate or um students and say who has trouble falling asleep some nights and almost 50 to 80 percent of the room's hand goes up and that's a crazy stat when you think of it like that and I think it's because not enough of us are comfortable sitting there with our thoughts. We're so used to our brain going Mac 10 and like, look at the last 10 years, the advancement in technology, our phones are like 10 years ago. If you wanted to watch a movie, you have to wait an hour to download it. So then you could watch it. Nowadays you click bang and you're streaming a movie. Like everything is so instant, so quick. There's not much time to process stuff. And on, from my experience, what I find meditation and mindfulness does it just brings us back to the present and gives us the opportunity to really regulate and understand how we are feeling so we can make conscious actions to feel better if we're not feeling great. But so often with, in my experience with the mental health spectrum, like we're all somewhere from good mental health to mental illness. And unless we're checking in with ourselves, and even if it's once a week, sitting still with your thoughts and going, hmm, how am I feeling? Oh, oh that's a pretty bad thoughts. Am I going to attach to that? And having a awareness around that can give us the opportunity to move back up the scale if we are slipping down that spectrum but so often people slip so far down the spectrum before they realize that that's when we need to get medicated we need to seek um help so i'm trying to encourage that i mean like the statistics are i'm sure you'd know too is one in five australians be diagnosed with a mental illness but four in uh, five in five of us have mental health so my whole idea and push with my business is to really encourage the four and five who don't have mental illnesses to develop the skills so that they can continue to not fall down that spectrum and that's where I feel like so often we're putting a lot of our resources is really helping that one in five which don't get me wrong is so so important but I feel like I can add bring that little bit of a niche and hopefully encourage people and show that mental health isn't mental illness mental health is something that we all do the mental health is something that we all have to learn to manage and learn to develop skills around to move yeah up the positive end of the spectrum so that's kind of been my experience with trying to encourage people to look at mental health just in a different light and that's really what kind of I feel like my purpose is now is to really bring a different idea to kids and to students and to anyone I speak to's mind that mental health isn't something that we need to be scared of it isn't something that it does have that stigma and it, so often it's all about the day we can speak we've got to chat talk to people this is important but it's also important to develop to develop these skills so we don't get to the point of needing to talk to somebody it, it's so true because it's one of these one of these things is actually a skill it's it's part of your actual learning and your growth and development when you're young but and i think back to when i grew up at school i mean it was never talked about it was still part of the i think we're so used to being in that traditional way of thinking of like, well, no, 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 like, you know, you don't do that. You're learning more about maths or English or whatever it might be. But having the, that skill to understand yourself, your emotions, how you regulate them and how they actually play a huge part in your life. Because at the end of the day, we are very advanced humans. I mean, it's what our brain is what makes us different from every other living animal out there in some species, because that's where we've been put on this different cognitive field. And it's, I always find it absolutely fascinating that there has been an approach just to sort of not bury your head in the sand, but almost just like, no, 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 we'll just put that over there. And like you said, treat it as a stigma rather than, well, no, like you treat your body healthily and you get told to exercise and do all this sort of stuff. Why don't you actually do that with your your brain and your mind? Because that's the thing that 
dictates so much of your life and how you interact and behave. I mean, I think it's, it's sort of hats off to you that you're, you're doing that because that it's the younger generation who can then continue to carry that on forwards and then we can get into like a really positive cycle moving forwards. How many people in terms of the good human factor, like how many people have you worked with now um, over the years that you've been doing it? So, I mean, COVID ended up being a really good thing for me in my business. I was working full time doing carpentry. From about 24, I lost my sponsor in surfing and then I started doing carpentry to fund my surf career. And from that, that was kind of when the good human factory inception started when I was still working full time. But then when COVID hit, it allowed me to, so I probably in 2019, 2019, 2019, probably spoke at like three or four schools, just at my old high school and a couple other little sport clubs from like um, friends, teams. And looking back, it was so different back then. But then when COVID hit, it really allowed me to um, leave carpentry because all my surf events got cancelled. I didn't have those expenses to travel the world and I could really focus on developing the business, building my um, building my skills myself and understanding how to present a lot better and how to um, communicate my messaging in a way that can engage the students. So in 2020, I probably spoke to like 1,500 students the back end of the year. And then this year I've spoken to like over 3,500 students, which, yeah, has been a definite big jump and it's been really cool to gather feedback and gather data. And as I've started to understand how to run a business and how to run a service, like running workshops for students. Um, yeah, it's definitely grown and the data and the feedback I've got has been really positive. It's been nice to know that kids are seeing it, how I'm intending to portray my message is something that's a little less heavy than your average person coming in to talk about mental health. As we said before, a stigma comes in as soon as straight away when somebody says, Oh, someone's coming to talk to us about mental health. That's why I've named it the good human factor. It's like, it's, it's not necessarily mental health. It's if you focus on being the best person you can be, your mental health is going to be a good a byproduct of that. It's about trying to develop those skills and values to be a good human. And when you're, doing nice things when you're being a good person putting good energy out to the world around you that's when you feel fulfilled that's when for me anyway i feel fulfilled and the more yeah study i do in the area the more i start to understand um, the more i begin to understand the importance of that right that's unreal i absolutely love that and have you what, what have you noticed with the the kids this year in particular having talked to quite a few people now like in terms of are there any sort of interesting observations that you you've come along and also I guess the impact of the pandemic on on kids at school what's that been like oh, obviously it's been really difficult I've had so many workshops cancelled because of COVID not being able to go in and um, and then another thing that I've noticed as well is so often like my fees smaller than all of the um, other school um, organizations charge but most schools say also oh, we don't have the budget for that so it's like crazy to the amount of students that have missed out and I've done probably did 1500 of my students this year for free just because I knew the area was needing that sort of service but the school can't afford it so it's like the funding's an observation that's really disappointing from a school and government point of view but then from a student point of view just the lack of awareness around so many of these techniques is baffling like I do small, like my workshop goes for 45 minutes to an hour. It's almost just like a little introduction just to hopefully raise that curiosity with them. Like, oh, I've never learned this. Oh, I've never learned that. So one of the questions I ask in my um, feedback survey to all the students is, did you learn something new about mental health? And I think I'm at like 98% of people say they did. 
So that's just a good indication that we're not being taught these skills. And the, the five skills that I talk about are very, very basic. I talk about responsibility, taking responsibility for your life, your actions, empathy, developing empathy, because it's such an important trait. We're all going to go through moments in our life where we need to take a step back, drop the ego and step into other people's lives and try and offer some support and gather a different perspective. So responsibility, empathy, kindness. There's so much data and science that backs that kinder people are happier people, but I never got told that until I started to do my own research. Um, gratitude, huge, huge revelation when I started to understand the importance of gratitude and looking at life through that through that lens of like, hmm, what have I got to be grateful for? And my dad always told me as a kid, appreciation, not expectation. Now I'm older, I understood that he was just talking about gratitude the whole time. So gratitude. And then my last one is mindfulness slash meditation and five very basic things. But so, so often the students have never heard of most of them. Well, not, not heard of them, but don't have an understanding around them on how simple they are and how basic it is to spend five to ten minutes a day on one or two of these things can have you know what I mean massive massive gains on your mental health whereas so often nowadays the uh, more and more I start to talk to people the more often when people are struggling they go to a psychologist and so so often it ends up with them being prescribed something to help with their chemical imbalance in their brain but the more research and study I do the more it comes back to like factors that are to do with their home life, to do with their social circle, to do with their skills that they have in regulating their thoughts. But we're so often prescribed stuff. So I'm just trying to like cut through to kids to be like, hey, there's so many great ways that we, skills that we can develop, but these things take time. These things take responsibility. And hopefully being a young, cool pro surfer to these kids, I can inspire them to be like, hey, wait, all my ambassadors and all the athletes around me who are jumping on board as on part of this project, are starting to and all of them are coming to me being like oh it's really cool being a part of this because it's making me really take a step back and take a bit of notice on how I'm feeling so just trying to really take create a big movement really and create a whole shift in mindset which so many of us in this industry are trying to do but it's just yeah continuing to get runs on the board and continuing to develop and like I said be curious and build skills myself because every time I read a new book or every time I listen to a new podcast I learn something and implement it into my life and then I can implement it into my workshop so it's yeah continuing to grow continuing to not be naive and think that you know everything and yeah continuing to inspire that younger generation to develop the skills that are going to help them live that happy and enriched life that we all want for our younger generations mate it's so good yeah huge hats off to you for for all of that amazing work that you're doing I think it's it's so incredibly important well, what does the future look like for you based on that then? I mean, that's a big question, but what are, what are the sort of, what are you focusing on now for the next few years of how you do this with still surfing and everything else as a blend together? And I suppose maybe it's a question about where have you just been overseas as well? Or was that all related? Yes, yeah, so I was just overseas for the last three months. I got into the, um, I got a last minute wildcard into like our little international qualifying tour, which allowed me to travel the world for three months and when you're a year into a business it's it's pretty gnarly taking three months off when I mean I run point on absolutely everything I literally have a one-man army from creating my workshops develop my website do all my own merch and I, I mean I've always loved the idea of being an entrepreneur I wanted to I've always wanted to do something that was being my own boss something that was creative something that allowed me to have the freedom to have time on my hands to be able to surf and I feel like I've kind of got to that point now but 
I also understand the importance and the need of my work. So it's the mindset is definitely shifting, not completely from surfing to that, but I'm trying to work out creative ways how I can balance both of them. So I just got a contract with Surfing New South Wales, which is our governing body for surfing in South Wales to do eight workshops with junior board riders clubs up and down the East coast. But they also have, our, they also run all of our regional events. So I'm matching up my regional events in February next year. I'll be running workshops with the local clubs around that area while I'm competing. And so I'll run the workshops at night while I compete in the day. So I'm just trying to find balance, trying to find how I can, cause I feel like while I'm still actively competing, it does give me that kind of cool edge to, young people it's like hey this guy isn't just like oh he's a retired surfer it's like no this guy's still doing it but he's doing this as well so I think that in my mind shows that there is that commitment outside of just trying to retire and find that next path it's still very much important to me to compete and keep healthy and surf well but yeah a lot of the um, focus has gone to the good human factory but no I'm really excited for next year I've got many bookings to um get workshops done i've got i'm trying to like find creative ways to offer my workshops for free to many of the schools as as i said the budgeting and the funding can be quite difficult i just got a um, little contract from the new south wales uh, mental health minister bronnie taylor i've done some stuff in um state parliament with her and she's given me a few small little grants to be able to offer these workshops to rural and coastal area schools for at free of well at free of charge for the school but then I can continue to keep the business moving by doing that so yeah just trying to find creative ways I really enjoy the entrepreneurship of like running merch and designing cool merch and having people wear things around that have messaging that isn't just a clothing brand it says like be kind to your mind on a lot of my shirts and now my whole new mindset is using the marketing of each item sold on my website for merch, I'll do a free workshop for a student. So if I can get the merch churning really well, then I can just start offering my workshops for free to students. So just trying to be creative. I really enjoy the idea of being a business and trying to be creative in ways that I can still execute my service and um, inspire as many people, but then also still be successful. It's been a dream of mine to run a successful business one day but it's also been a fear of mine to run a business that isn't having a positive benefit on the world. So I feel like I've landed in this really nice, neat spot of not fully being a charity, not being a hundred percent service, but trying to find a way where I can be creative, have a successful business, but also the base of the business be to give back. And I feel like I've landed very close to that right now, but it's just, yeah, continuing to learn how to scale, learn how to, I mean, I'm, I've just been a pro surfer for a lot. Don't get me wrong. I have, I feel like I'm quite a smart guy and have done multiple courses along the way while I've been competing, but like, I haven't gone to uni. I don't know how to run a business. I'm learning on my feet, but I, like I said, I really love learning and I really love that curiosity to what's going on in the world to how to get ahead because the further I can build the business the more people I can help. So that's, um, that's a future goals. So, next couple of years work out how to continue to scale up to get in front of more people to build more um, facilitators for the good human factory to allow other athletes to go and share their story and share with students what they do to improve their mental health because I think we all do have a different story that we can share and like I touched on before there isn't a one there isn't a pill to fix everybody as much as the pharmaceutical companies might want to want you to think that it's important that we all uncover what works for us and what things make us happy and it's like yoga might not work for you, but you might love going for a run. And we need to have that curiosity to find the thing that works for us. And if I can help lead as many students to that, um, yeah, that 
vision of finding what works for them, then yeah, that's kind of where I see my purpose at right now. Oh, man, I think it's absolutely unreal, all the work you're doing. And I think that, you know, the mindset is obviously the thing that's powering you through. And you, you talk about, I think you're being yeah, very most about not, not knowing what to do with the business. I don't think a lot of people know what they're doing. I think as, as long as you have the right mindset and the curiosity and everything else to, to chase it down, that's the most important part. Because without that, it's actually really difficult. You can have all the skills in the world, but if you don't have the right mindset, a lot of that stuff can be uh, really, really difficult. But mate, no, thank you so much for, for taking the time to join us. I think it's, um, I mean, it's just very refreshing to, to talk with people like yourself who are doing, you know, really focused on, on such sort of purposeful, um, meaningful work uh, that's it's really changing a lot of people's lives. So good on you, mate. Thank you so much for, uh, for all that you do and thanks for coming on the, uh, the Science of Us. Yeah, thanks so much. It was an absolute pleasure to be here and yeah, thanks for having me. That's it for this episode of The Science of Us. If you'd like to learn more about Cooper Chapman or The Good Human Factory, check out the show notes. And if you like what you heard, as always, follow us, subscribe, and give us a review. We'd really appreciate it. We'll see you next time on The Science of Us.